Hello, my friends. I am very excited. Some special news today. We just finished recording our first masterclass, which covers the five biggest actions you can implement today to kickstart your leadership transformation and is jam-packed with insights that you can leverage to propel yourself and your team forward. Visit leaderbits.io. You can click on it. It's on the homepage and it's absolutely complimentary. Today, we are talking to Matt Walker, the CTO and co-founder of Simon Data, and we discuss connecting the engineering team back to the customer, building a strong remote culture, and removing emotion from mistakes to grow and learn from them. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. It's Matt. <laughs> How are you doing? Dude, I'm excited. How are you? I'm doing well. It's been a pretty busy last couple of weeks rolling into the holidays here. Right? Well, look at that. You got some, uh, like, look at your background. You got some kids, I assume, or you draw those dinosaur pictures. No, I didn't draw them. I have four kids. Wow. Boys, girls? One, uh, two of each. Two of each. Yep. Nice. Yep. I love being a parent, man. I've got a... Little girl is about 16 months, and then a boy is on the way. We'll be here in April. Oh, my goodness. Congratulations. That's exciting. Yes. So we're getting <laughs> started. We've only been married two years. So, yeah. so we, we were aiming for three kids, and our third kid was twins. So that's how we got four. <laughs> Are you kidding me? That is the conversation we had in our kitchen last night. I said, uh, I said yeah, we have a boy and a girl. I said, watch what will happen. We'll have boy-girl twins as, as the third. Yep. And she's like, yep. Now, did you have boy-girl twins as the third? Yeah, it was boy girl. So we had a boy and then a girl and then boy girl twins. Yeah. Get out of it, dude. My wife's got a freak. She's like, that's some universe stuff right there. Uh, <laughs> like, how weird is that that we were having that conversation in our kitchen last night and then you come on and you have that mix? That's insane. Uh, twins are definitely insane, but they're a lot of fun. Yes. You still have all your hair though. So that's uh, good. Uh, I'm, I'm slowly getting rid of it, but uh, <laughs> it's not just the twins that I have to blame for that. So yeah. <laughs> So can you, first of all, the site's beautiful. I love your yeah. the brand and everything. That's like, that's what instantly hooks me. If they have a good brand, I'm like, I'll at least pay attention to what it is. But can you give me like a high level overview of what Simon is? Sure. I mean, it's interesting because the brand actually ties into what it does. I mean, it's basically a place for retention marketers to collaborate with their data team. But you can view it as them having a data engineer in the box and those Simon glasses, uh, you know, represent that data engineer. So that was the brainchild of our CEO, Jason, uh, just a sort of random image that he came up with and worked with our designer to create. And it really sort of captures what Simon does, I think. That's I, so the website's beautiful. And even on the homepage, uh, Tommy, the CTO of TrueCar. Yep. You know, Tommy. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Yeah, I've actually met him up in Austin a couple of times as well. Yeah, they, they have an office here in Austin. Oh, really? Uh -huh. They just, uh, I got a note from, from Chloe, our PR, and, and, you know, I get copied on the invitations for the future guest. And we booked him like a week or two ago. I came through and said, oh, yeah, Tommy from True Car. I'm like, oh, that's Tommy. awesome. Yeah, he's an amazing guy. And uh, we, we've worked with that team now for over a year, I think. Um, and David, one of their uh, uh, head of um, data engineering, was a colleague from Etsy as well. 
Oh, and you're over at Etsy before too, right? I read mm -hmm. that in your profile. That's yeah. That's that's where you know, sort of, I cut my teeth on big data was Etsy. I think. Any cool projects you can talk about? Uh, yeah. So um, I was the first hire at Jason's first company, Intuitive, and we got acquired by Etsy. So we were kind of brought in as the uh, the search and, and big data team. At the time, they weren't keeping their web logs at all. They were expiring them and had no analytics infrastructure whatsoever. Uh, and so we really sort of like walked in the door, uh, set up a beacon in Akamai to collect web traffic and then built the big data platform off the back end of that. And so that, that was pretty much my entire focus there for about three and a half years uh, was instrumenting the site so that we actually had behavioral information and then joining it into uh, data that came from their sharded MySQL. Um, and so that was, uh, you know, the, the sort of flagship data asset that they had for analyzing A-B tests. And then we just automated everything downstream of that. So whether you're doing uh, data-driven development on data sets that were produced from behavioral uh, data or whether you were actually just analyzing your A-B tests, that was all sort of automated for you through the, the big data system. That's brilliant. So they were empowering people to do A-B tests very easily throughout the organization? Exactly. And it plugged directly into their feature flag system. So basically every feature built at Etsy goes out under a feature flag. And if you used a feature flag to launch a feature, then you got an A-B test for free out of it. So it was just a great way to democratize big data across the company. Oh, that's so smart. And now Jason, that would be your co-founder at Simon Data? Yeah, he's the CEO. He's the CEO. And so you met him on this previous project, wrap that up, and then you started Simon Data right away, or were there some projects in between? So there, so Jason's an old colleague from graduate school, uh, which is how I wandered into his first startup. Uh, between Etsy and Simon, I actually worked with another uh, colleague from graduate school at uh, Apple. Mm -hmm. So I was working as a data science in fraud detection um, here in Austin though I was actually pretty much remote to Cupertino during that time. Nice. So this retention marketing stuff, is this like a new category? Uh, I wouldn't say retention marketing is, but sort of our approach to it uh, is fairly unique. Um, so there's an emerging category called customer data platforms where you're just sort of accumulating all data about a customer um, and making it accessible for various purposes. Um, the reason that we do it is for retention marketing in particular. So it's things like abandoned carts, new user registration, upsell, cross-sell, uh, churn prevention, uh, you know, post-purchase series, you name it. It's anything where you're marketing to your existing or former customers. Um, and so it's all built upon having this very rich profile of information about the customer. So Simon Data, they, they act as like a, like a consultancy where they go in and they take a look at all your data and then build you dashboards or just give me a like, what were you doing with TrueCar? Like, how did that relationship yeah. go about? So uh, there's not as, it's not as much of consultancy as a data platform and a suite of products over the top of it to allow retention marketers to do their daily workflow. Um, I guess where the sort of consulting aspect of it comes into play is sort of in the initial integration and then getting people trained up on the platform. Um, but what we do is, you know, a new user walks onto the platform, we sort of 
predetermined what their data inputs are going to look like, and they just go down the list hitting OAuth buttons and submitting API keys and giving us access to the data, basically. Then our integration team pulls all that data in, and it's made available through the product to, directly to the marketer. Um, so the marketers building audiences through our segmentation tool, they're building campaigns through our flows product, they're crafting their uh, email templates and what have you, and then they're actually running their own campaigns through the platform across multiple channels. Interesting. So you're like a little data agency marketing platform for companies and they, they plug their data in and they can use it internally? plug their data in and then they get their marketing out, whether it be email, uh, advertising through custom audiences, push notifications, text messages, you name it. When with TrueCar in particular, one of our big uh, sort of, you know, primary differentiators for them was actually just passing data through the system uh, multiple times using our segmentation tool. And so they actually have these workflows where data will flow through the platform and then go back into their system and then flow back through the platform again for messaging. Um, so it can get fairly sophisticated when you're dealing with a data savvy user. That's interesting. Cause I, I don't think about that very often. They have these like TrueCar would have a large audience yep. like with hundreds of thousands, if not millions of, of users. And then they have to coordinate their efforts across all of them. And a lot of the tools that you can like self sign up for are usually for like B2B or B2C sales. That's, right. Yeah, exactly. Or you can kind of imagine them being uh, cases where your your subscriber list fits on an Excel spreadsheet. And we are really talking about, you know, subscriber lists and the millions or hundreds of millions of contacts. Wow. You guys send a lot. You guys use Postmark or SendGrid or something like that? Or you do integrate with whatever they want? Yeah, <laughs> yeah we, we support a wide variety of, of email service providers, but SendGrid is, is one of our preferred ones. Yes. Nice. What was the, was there like a specific moment or inspiration that you and Jason were like, we're doing Simon data? So it, it really came from experiences at Etsy and then in, in the market where, you know, a lot of what we were trying to do was uh, apply data science to real world, real world problems and letting it be driven by, you know, sort of the use cases that we found in the market. And a lot of uh, what we saw was that marketing teams had sort of uh, more baseline data problems to begin with. They just weren't well served by their data engineering teams or, you know, their sort of internal data assets weren't aimed towards marketing and they weren't really utilizing the data that even their company had uh, curated into a data warehouse to actually power the marketing. Um, so just like at Etsy where we saw, you know, this building tools on top of data platform uh, to democratize access to the data, we did the same thing for retention marketing teams, you know, out in the, in the market, essentially. Uh, and it was funny when, when we were sort of shopping around for data science problems, the majority of the work that we found was data engineering in support of these marketing teams. Um, so I think what we've done here is sort of built our ideal data platform to solve the data problem. And now we're able to actually layer data science applications in on top of it as well. Nice. So the, the real hard part was getting that initial platform of like, let's get everything connected in here. And then now let's do really great stuff with it. You got it. It's connected. It's cleaned. It's QA'd. It's making inoperable data in some cases operable. And then finally, it's, it's going the last mile over the top of that and actually delivering, you know, predictive models to really optim, you know, get the last mile of optimization 
uh, for these marketing campaigns. Nice. So you're friendly with when a company wants, they have some data engineers, you're usually, they're the ones that are heading up the integration with you and then you're making yeah, so their lives easier too. Yeah, we, we can, we can, uh, we, we interface in a variety of ways. If there is a data engineering team, then they're often sort of a, a, a very close uh, colleague at the, at the client account and we get them into our SQL development environment so that they can build some of the data sets. Uh, but <clears throat> with many of the clients that we work with, they don't have a data engineering team. And so we provide the data engineers to be able to actually ingest data into the platform for them. Nice. How do you feel about sales? You like sales or no? Uh, sales at Simon is a great crew of yeah. people. They are extremely bright people, uh, always very interested in, you know, sort of learning technical concepts because I think it helps them in the sales process. Uh, one of our uh, AEs um, knows what Hadoop is. <laughs> so Josh, like we were riding in a cab and Josh put him on the spot and was just like, hey, what's Hadoop? And he actually accurately described it to me, which I was totally impressed by. <laughs> uh, so they're, they're, they're a really cool crew of people. And I think that um, they do a very good job in, this, in our sort of um, sales process, which is, uh, has a lot of steps. Um, because you are selling a, a data platform, there's a lot to it, a lot of features. And so there's a large number of conversations with many different stakeholders required to really actually make the sale. And so you've had like over here, we have a company outside of the, that came out of the podcast. And so we have about 10 people now. So we're, we're dealing with all that, like developing your ideal customer profile and yep. paying attention. Like, cause it's weird because you, you see the whole market and you're like, oh, if somebody has a technology team, like it would be great. They could use our thing because they, anyone who has a technology team. But then we found that like there's a certain part that responds or a certain part that replies and they have this very specific issue. And it's like, so now we've like coordinated down, like it's only engineering teams out between 20 and 100 engineers. And they're like at this level of growth and like for some reason, we don't know why, but they are experiencing the problem that we solve the most. And so they're purchasing the fastest. Yeah, and that type of market exploration is, is one aspect of what they do. Um, they also, uh, so the, we've just sort of as a company tried out different market segments over time as well, mm -hmm. right? So one trend that we've seen is we've sort of been moving towards larger and larger companies because we support their scale. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, we can walk into one of those conversations and it's just like a very natural, like, Yes, 120 million contacts or what have you, no problem. Uh, and a lot of our competitors have issues with that. Um, the, the market for retention marketing is pretty diverse though. Like there's a, quite a range of sort of tech savvy uh, in that position from you know, down market shops where the retention marketer is doing it all uh, at, towards the like higher end where they're sort of like one component of a larger marketing team. That's a component of a much larger sort of, you know, uh, growth team. So what's the growth like been at Simon data? How long have you guys been around? Where are you at today? Yeah. So we've been in market about three years. Um, and it, you know, uh, one of the interesting things about the first year was that I was acting as our integration engineer. So, uh, we have this really cool program where, we hire junior engineers out of coding academies and then we pair them up with a uh, core mentor and they go through like sort of a year long boot camp where they're learning core engineering while uh, delivering clients uh, work through the integrations team. And then they graduate onto our, our core team. Well, the, the success story with that team is that they automated me 
because <laughs> previously that was my job. I was actually the one who was building the data pipelines in the co client conversations, you know, like figuring out which data to pull and how to query it and all this sort of stuff. Uh, and now that team has completely taken that off my plate uh, and, and does an amazing job at it as well. So how large is engineering as a whole there? Like how many people? So we're at 26 uh, engineers, not including uh, the integrations teams right now. Uh, and we're looking to essentially double that in the next year. It's really smart how you solved your pipeline problem with the pairing. I like that. I hear, I, I've, I've heard about it before, like I've read about it and I've actually seen it, but it's amazing that uh, so many people don't do it. <laughs> yep. That's what the amazing part is. It, it just happened to fit with us very nicely because we needed this integrations team. And it's, it's a really cool opportunity for a junior data engineer because, uh, you know, in a lot of the jobs that you get, you know, sort of fresh out of training uh, in the industry as a data engineer, you really don't get to sort of get thrown into the deep end. Whereas our, our integrations team is just casting you directly into the deep end uh, and letting you figure out like how to operate data systems at scale, which is the fun part of data engineering. Now, customer success, really important to you, right? Mm -hmm. how, how does that look there? What's important to you? Like, what do you do for customer success? Yeah, so I think one thing that differentiates our approach uh, to others is that our customer success managers, we call them TCSMs for technical. Mm -hmm. um, and so they are very tech savvy people who can understand the ins and outs of the platform. Uh, they're often competent SQL authors, so they can write SQL queries, so they can go pull data on their own, they can do analytics on their own. Um, and now that we've built a, a, a strong suite of tooling for them, they can often integrate accounts entirely on their own. Uh, so it's, it's been a, another success story for us in that they're uh, very fast at integrating client accounts and they're able to do that while not actually being programmers, um, but they can also manage the, the client uh, relationship as well. That's pretty awesome. They've got client relationship management skills and they're also uh, SQL savvy. <laughs> and they're, they're a great crew of people to work with because they are good communicators and high energy folk uh, who are you know, very friendly with their clients as well. Uh, and then I guess the other thing is that my brother is the director of the team right now. So I have direct affinity with them. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. You got to, uh, with the holidays coming up, you've got to keep the, uh, the conversation at home about data science. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, mistakes, we're all making mistakes, right? We're always learning. What are some of the lessons that you've learned recently in the past couple of years? Um, from early on in founding the company? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the chief mistakes that we made uh, earlier on was just not anticipating the scope of the product. <laughs> uh, so we, we started out, uh, you know, building a segmentation engine effectively, um, sort of learned by entering it into the market that we needed to expand out of the feature set more towards a, a CDP. And recently we've learned more that we need to expand the feature set out more towards a marketing cloud. Um, and so this has just been naturally revealed through interacting with our customers. The things that make them happy are making very simple workflows over the top of the data platform. Um, and so we've gotten a lot of wins in the last couple of years by just delivering product over the top of the data platform that really um, either automates or just makes simpler their retention marketing workflows. That's interesting because 
what they're having to do is they're having to, they're getting sold all the time on these features of things you can do. Then they don't have the data backing to actually execute on it or it becomes a ridiculously large project. But what you guys went the opposite way. You're like, That's let's right. go in there and give them the infrastructure. And now they have, and, and you, so that they can do deal with all the sales that they're trying to make happen and all the features are trying to bring in. But then you realize, Hey, we already have it. We already have the relationship with the customer, which is like the hardest thing to get anyways. Let's just put these flows on, on top of it. Yep. You got it. And I mean, it's just becoming more and more easy to use the platform all the time. As you identified, it looks nice. It's pretty user-friendly. It's not very intimidating, but you can, you know, sort of encode some fairly sophisticated marketing campaign campaigns in the thing. Uh, so, and then the abilities of it just keep growing all the time. So it's a very, very cool platform upon which to build that type of uh, product. And that's sort of our central problem is taking these data heavy applications and delivering them to non-technical users. So I just want to get a little bit geekier here. I'm sorry. <laughs> I want to, I, I want to understand it just a little bit better. So like, let's say you went to true car and they were using it for their advertising world, mm -hmm. but then sales wants to start leveraging that data. I heard you use the word democratizing a lot. Like how does that look for the company? They come in, you get them all tied up, their marketing's going, advertising world's going really great with it. But then sure. sales is like, hey, we wanna tap into that data. How does that work? Yeah, so we have a couple of approaches to that. Like first of all, we can be very incremental in the way that we onboard data. Um, so essentially, when we go in to integrate an account, we bring in the smallest amount of data possible to actually drive a campaign. And that way we can go end to end on one use case immediately. Uh, then as we identify new marketing use cases, we just add new data to the platform. So the platform is very, very good at just at, you know, adding incremental data. Um, so what happens when we start to go multi-team within an organization? Uh, we have a permissioning framework to be able to sort of sandbox the different uh, sub-teams. Um, but it looks very similar to a new integration. So if you've got everything working for retention marketing and sales wants to actually use the tool, they can start by just getting a user account and seeing what's available. Then you can come up with use cases and sort of bring in new data to support those. And then pretty soon you, you've got people across multiple teams, um, you know, using the same data platform. Nice. I like how you're continuously like outcome driven, right? You're always like use yes. case first. That prevents yeah, we do that across the board. Yeah, that's how you get prevent from getting the data swamp. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. <laughs> so, what what stands out to you as signs of you know a great engineering culture? Sure. I mean, uh, I love our team. So, I mean, I guess one you know thing that's relatively unique about our team is that we are distributed. Okay. Uh, and that sort of owes from the fact that I've been remote since two thousand and seven in my career. Uh, and then I've been remote specifically from Texas to New York City since 2009, so a long, long time. Um, so we, we have a, a very good culture of um, you know, daily stand-ups uh, amongst teams, weekly meetings across the entire team, and quarterly offsites where you get to meet face-to-face -face and do planning and also just meet and greet. Um, the mentorship I talked about before is another sort of like core principle where we're constantly you know, learning and teaching each other. Uh, and, and like you say, it sort of establishes our, our pathway for junior engineers onto the, the senior team. Um, and then I think last is just that we're highly effective, uh, you know, in part due to the flexibility that remote work allows us to have. Um, so people tend to keep office hours, but if you need to like take a break in the middle of the day, go eat 
you know, lunch with your wife or what have you, and then sign back on in the evening to do your engineering work, uh, you can. Uh, so I often find myself doing my, my management work in the day and my programming at night uh, when things are quiet. Uh, and I think that makes this pretty effective. What sort of leadership style do you have? Like I'm totally a lead by doing kind of guy. Uh, I, like I say, right now I'm filling the roles of VP of engineering, CTO, sprint team lead, and one of our uh, lead ICs. So I'm, I'm writing code. I'm building the team uh, and I'm, I'm building technology. You're still writing code. Absolutely. Uh, I think it's very important for me to be writing code because it's the way I maintain context on the whole system. Okay. Now do you have plans to reduce your amount of code writing? So no, I have more plans to reduce my management. Uh, okay, cool. Uh, yeah. So I'll continue to, to sort of manage the senior engineering organization, uh, but not from an HR perspective, more from a, a architecture perspective. Right. And then I think part of doing that um, high level architecture is just actually having your hands on the code so that you know how the system works, you know, all the moving parts. Like I want to be involved in the hardest technical decisions across the entire stack. Uh, and that, that's what I really like to do. Okay. Yeah. That's, and that's the beauty of being the co-founder, right? Yep. Yep. You get to, I love it. Cause I talk to all of these different CTOs, right? Huge spectrum. And what I find, you know, that they have in common is they all hang out in the area that they're strong in and then they hire out around the other stuff. So some people are really strong people, uh, like leaders type, uh, personalities. And so they really crave that. And that's like what they like to get in and, and figure out how that's working. So then they, will SVP of engineering will be the one that is the, the extremely technical one. Right. Um, other people are really technical and like they really want to be on the hardest problem engineering wise at the company and say, you know, kind of close out everything else, hire out everything else. Like one of my examples is um, like Steve jobs was, was still a people person, but he totally uh, shut the world out for the iPhone. Like that was like the only project he was working on. He completely closed everything out and was just obsessed with that. Even though he was like the CEO of the company at the time. Yeah. <laughs> that, like, as the CEO, that's pretty impressive. I, yeah. I mean, I have some flexibility being the CTO, but I, I definitely, uh, <laughs> uh, I do go through those cycles where I really have to get heads down. And those are some of the most fun times for me. But like you say, like uh, it's a good investment from my perspective, building out this team of people I can trust so that I really can go heads down while you know the company stays afloat the engineering department keeps cranking away and it can kind of run without me so so do you have like a a, a main person that that's helping you that like your right hand person i i don't have a specific individual mm -hmm. but i have a team of uh people managers that are okay. extremely talented and have been with the company for a long time and i'm starting to develop a team of uh team leads that are sort of like, you know, the, the, the senior engineers that really uh, organize the actual execution of the, the engineering teams. Nice. And so between those two groups of people, I, I'm covered basically. Nice. It's smart. I always like to see like, this is a fun conversation for me because it's always interesting how people structure things around them in order to have the outcome that they want. It's, and you're doing awesome. Yeah. I mean, it, it's been a very iterative process. Like I mean, it's, it's interesting how much it's changed over time, but that just is completely described by how, how much we've grown. I mean, we, we doubled last year and we'll double again the next year and the actual structure required to manage it is different. 
And you're early. I mean, you're, it's like you, you're three years old. Right now, your platform and you being involved in those decisions is, is really important, especially with yeah. the way that the, the thing that's interesting about the field you're in is it's like really uh, cutting edge right now, right? With, there's so much, uh, there's so many different areas to pull your focus. That the focus is, is one of the like um, scarcest commodities, but most important things for the team, in my opinion. Well, in so my I think <laughs> in general, you're right. Uh, but, but definitely like uh, given that we are fielding a data platform and a marketing cloud, there's just an infinite number of things we could do. Uh, so we're, we're very focused about picking our priorities and then just incrementally building against them. Uh, to make sure that we're on the right path. Yeah, and your customers help you a lot with that too, as you mentioned. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the CDP, right. that was customer data platform. Customer data platform. Okay. Yeah. And yeah. then and then you were looking at that and then you found out you were more of like a marketing cloud. Yeah, we're essentially a marketing cloud that has a baked in CDP. So a marketing cloud with a really strong data platform underneath it. Okay. Um, and I think that's like it's the combination of those two things that really meets the use cases for retention marketers. Yeah. And so like, how would you classify a tool like segment? I've, I've seen that, but I wasn't really, I I played with it a little bit. I like piped my intercom data into it. And I, yeah, we integrate to segment. They're actually an oh. upstream event provider for, for us. Um, so uh, segment, you know, makes it very easy to deploy multiple uh, beacons essentially into your, your web app or your, your mobile SDK. Um, and so they have access to the event stream data um, and can provide you with downstream analytics on it. Um, we sort of would view them more as a input and we can take their events, curate them within our uh, marketing data warehouse and then um, provide access to their data plus other data. So in particular, it, just like we learned at Etsy where we were putting behavioral analytics data side by side with this sharded MySQL that had all of our production database uh, data in it, you, it's really the combination of the two that's required for retention marketing. That's awesome. I love this stuff. It's like a whole new world, man. <laughs> it's so exciting. Uh, have you heard of, I don't know why this just popped into my head, but lots of conversation around productivity of engineering. And then I saw this thing come up called Git Prime. Have you, have you come across this yet? I have not, no. All right, so what they do is, I found it so interesting, I screenshot, and then I sent it to, to Chloe, and I was like, get this person on the show, like I wanna talk to them. So I think they're gonna be on the show in like March or April, but um, they, they go through your Git repositories, and they give you some like real uh, measurable, sort of like KPI or indicators yeah. of your engineering based on like what code they write, how it goes back and forth, how it gets into production. Sure. Like then how many bugs it has uh, once it's in production. It's got this whole like life cycle so you can like quantify the effectiveness of, of your different engineers. Your engineering work. I mean, so we uh, have accumulated metrics for that exact kind of thing over time. Uh, but it's definitely not automated in any way like that. Uh, we we use Asana for project management. And so yeah. we're tracking sort of like throughput through Asana. Uh, we do have some kind of vanity metrics that we derive from GitHub, but we don't, you know, utilize those to really gauge throughput. It's more Asana that's the primary source of information. Um, but, you know, we get metrics out of the code base for a variety of reasons, you know, to understand complexity, uh, to understand like security vulnerabilities, all sorts of stuff like that. 
Um, so that is, that is a pretty interesting thing to do static analysis and be able to tell you the story of your team through metrics. Do you guys check out the episode with Prashant, the CTO of Asana? Amazing. I will totally do yeah, that. I we actually, love Asana. I flew out there. I've got a picture, a selfie of me, like in front of the Asana sign in San Francisco. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're heavy users uh, across the board from management tasks to engineering, to client success, to, to sales. We use Asana all over the place. Okay. So you actually will interface with your clients and use Asana. So we don't, we don't, the clients aren't there, but okay. the, the PS team uh, manages their time through it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's like, it's definitely one of those things where like we use it here too. And uh, it's like, why, why rebuild it? Like yep. it, it works and it's, it's pretty and it's functional and it's real time. It's like, why even it's good enough. Like, yeah, I mean, for us, the only thing to do is sort of build some, um, you know, procedure over the top of it and some structure to make it uh, analyzable. So that, that's really the only investment we've had to make is sort of come up with the structure, the desired structure for our sprint boards that we use uniformly across the teams. And then we just have a script that dumps the sprint boards out and then can produce metrics off the back of that. Oh, wow. So you guys like integrated with it on your side. Exactly. Because it doesn't quite do the reporting that we need it specifically for our sprint process. So we just make up the difference with some code. Oh, nice. Have you showed that to him? Uh, we have not. No, but you should show it to him. <laughs> well, here's what he'll do. I'll, I'll intro you to him and I'll be like, you got to check out what they're doing. They're integrating with you and doing sprint stuff and analyzing reports that might go, give them some inspiration about, yeah. you know, what they should be working on. over Absolutely. There. If they build that kind of sprint velocity reporting into the tool, we would definitely use it. Yeah. But it's always interesting to see. Cause like, that's the thing about with APIs, you don't really know what they're doing with it. Yep. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, I, I hope, I hope they're doing something good with it. Okay. So any challenges with leadership as far as like being remote or is it, similar to in-person? I know you've been remote for a long time. Yeah. So it's definitely something that I have experience with. There's definitely challenges that can arise from being remote. Uh, people have hesitancy to jump on a video call or pick up the phone, and you kind of have to get over that very quickly. Um, but I think it's something that remote workers, you know, intuitively learn very quickly. It's like when to escalate the conversation uh, from Slack, which is not super high throughput, uh, to just being on the phone where you can have the conversation, you know, much more real time. Um, and like in terms of, you know, with technical escalation, it's very obvious typically like what the priority of something is. So it's easy to just jump through the, the escalation hoops there. With management issues, it can be less obvious when something's really important to someone. So you just have to be super verbose and ask, yeah. right? <laughs> I love that word, so by the way. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we do a good job. I think uh, last week I had something like 2,000 lines in Slack or something like that. So we're, we're extremely active in Slack. So are you, are you doing any like public speaking for Simon Data, anything like that? We really haven't trotted Simon out on the engineering side uh, the way that we have on the marketing side and, and sort of sales side. Um, but we have plans to. Uh, a lot of the people who live in New York attend meetups and, and we've, you know, Jason does a lot of sort of uh, tech talks there as well. Mm -hmm. um, but it is the kind of thing where we're looking to start getting on the conference circuit and sort of spreading the word about Simon. Nice. Off topic question, is that a Nike shirt? 
Uh, that this internal one? Yeah. No, it's some kind of just generic uh, uh, soft threaded shirt that I wear under my my fleece here when it's cold. I have a I have a Nike shirt that's like that exact pattern. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering like how close you are to me in like a parallel dimension with the whole like conversation last night. Are you wearing the shirt I was wearing yesterday? <laughs> yeah, I'm in the alternate dimension here. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so in Austin, it's like weather change time. So um, the reason my voice is kind of funny is that it's a uh, um, cedar season is starting up. So it's time to be allergies for the rest of the winter, essentially. Oh, man, we, we got it. Uh, we just got a little bit of cold here in Florida, too. Like, oh, you're in Florida? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Or maybe warm. It would be the. Yeah. The well, right no, it's like this week has been like 40 and 50. Yeah. Same here. Yeah. Usually it's like 75, 80. So <laughs> it's, it's sweater weather, but it, it's hard because like in the morning when it's like 40 or 45, uh, I'm so used to my morning runs and sure. it's like, I don't want to run with the cold air. So I drive 10 minutes to the gym because I just like, for some reason, I feel like when you run in cold air, you're potentially get sick like triples. Yeah, I, yeah. for me, I, I also run in the mornings and uh, it, I just lose my voice uh, throughout the day with meetings because you get so you know much congestion from running like that. So let's bring it back to Simon. Yeah. What are you most excited about today? That's a good question. I, I'm excited about the team but I feel like I've kind of got the pattern there. And so now it's really just executing, growing this team that I have in mind over the course of the next year. Um, so really what I'm excited in doing is sort of turning my attention to the next round of technical problems. Mm -hmm. um, we just have some immensely challenging problems to solve. And that's what I'm really passionate about. Um, so, you know, whether it be in data science or whether it be in scaling the platform, the next like 100x or what have you, uh, you know, that, that's where I really want to spend my time in the next year. Yeah. Like how do we go from a billion to a trillion events? Exactly. I mean, we, we have, we get to scale, uh, you know, by sort of different orders of magnitude across the stack while we're scaling the number of clients that we're onboarding by some multiple as well. Uh, so it's a very fun problem of scale. Lots of Redis queues. <laughs> yeah. Lots of memcache. So lots of memcache. That, that's a, that's a good uh, point. We, we don't use Redis, we use Memcache. Okay. Um, I'm very con content to sort of make up the application tier difference over the top of Redis using Memcache because it's tried and true and very easy to operate. So Memcache is one of those things where we it's put old. it in the service three years ago and have never had a problem with it. It's old. I mean, I was using Memcache in the early 2000s. But it's such a stable technology. I know. Like we, we utilize it extremely heavily and it just stands up to all the punishment we, we meet out. Like it is a good technology. Yeah. Well, old doesn't mean bad. Yep. Right. Old means stable. <laughs> right. Well, Sounds yeah. Like right. <laughs> all right. I got to know how did you, you're, you're Matt, you're Matt Walker and he's Jason. Who's Simon? Who is Simon? The, who's the persona? Yeah. Your third co-founder. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, no Josh. Josh doesn't have glasses, so it can't be Josh. Uh, <laughs> Is it the person like if you were to blend you two together? It would yeah, be that Simon? sounds about right. Like he's okay. more, he leans more to the data scientist, and I lean more to the data engineer. But I will point out that I have the glasses. So yes. um, yeah, and and he is not in Texas with you. He's in New York. 
you said? No, we were in college at UT Austin oh, okay. together. He was in Texas, but he lives in New York now. Oh, he lives in New York now. Yeah. Nice. He just wanted, he was like, we're too close. And now I want to work remote. So I'm going to New York. No. So he, he went there primarily to start his first business, which was an advertising business. And that's a great place to, to kick off an advertising company. Yeah. Well, I, what I'm finding being in, you know, Tampa, Florida, I'm like an hour south, like an hour outside of Tampa. Okay. And so what I'm, what I'm finding is as our business is growing over here, like there is real benefit to living in a big city. Yeah. Because you can just look at all the brands in the big city and you go to meetings with them. Now, right. if, if I want to go meet with, I don't know, like Harvard, right? It was, I was in Boston like two weeks ago um, or Memecast, they did like an email security. Uh, yeah. I want to go meet with them. It's like two grand. Yep. Like to me, go have a client meeting. Like, right. It's, it, there's a lot of benefit to being in like a huge city and doing business like right in your area. So we, we kind of get the best of both worlds because um, we have a, a really strong presence in New York. Um, so people are very close, have close access to all the things going on in New York City. But, you know, we have engineers in cities across uh, the country. So we have people in D.C. We have a, a person in Montreal. I'm in Austin. So we kind of get a blend of the different tech cultures across that. It's nice to have people representing you in multiple cities. And then how do you do, so you said you're mostly distributed. Do you have an office there in Texas? Like, how do you do the, how do you do uh, the no. student thing? The what? You, earlier you mentioned that you had this concept of like the student pairing and like, how do you- uh, Sure, it's all, it's all done remote. It's all remote. Um, yeah, so when I, when I mentor someone, what that means is I'm essentially sharing a screen with them for an hour each week, right? So I'm doing code reviews, like showing them some code that I worked on, reviewing code that, that they've done in the last week, answering questions that they have. Uh, but then also what we do is we collaborate on producing technical brown bags. Mm -hmm. So the, the junior engineer will basically build a presentation under the guidance of the senior engineer and then deliver it over lunchtime uh, to the rest of the engineering team. So it's a great way for junior engineers to sort of share what they've learned while also, you know, getting input from the entire rest of the team. Technical brown bags, junior engineer, explain this again. I'm taking notes now. Yeah, so I mean, our, our mentorship program is very, you know, uh, um, well-defined in that um, they're, they're on a year-long path towards graduating senior engineering. Uh, they have these sort of like quarterly checkpoints to sort of gauge how they've been doing. But the way that we gauge how they've been doing is not just like tasks accomplished, right? Mm -hmm. There's also some component of it that's like, how are you doing towards your progress towards becoming a, a core engineer? And part of that is these pairing sessions with a core engineer who's helping you learn what's necessary to become a, a core engineer. Um, and so they pair up to code together they pair up to do code review they pair up just to do q a kind of stuff as well um, but they also collaborate to build uh, technical presentations that we deliver what through what we call a brown bag and so that brown bag is just a presentation given over lunch everyone dials in and eats their sandwich while the engineer is sort of giving a presentation about some technical project that they've worked on nice so they work on a little technical project give a presentation about it and then they get to, do they get to pick it or is it assigned to them? Yeah, so typically what we do, even in the hiring process, when we first are screening these junior engineers, we ask what they're interested in doing. 
And so we sort of figure out like, does this person have an affinity towards like full stack development or are they really heavy with data science or like just what are their interests? And that's how we choose who we pair them up with. Um, it's also how we uh, give them sort of side projects. They typically are, you know, high priority but low urgency tasks so that they can work on them like over a period of time. Mm -hmm. uh, and that just gets them hands-on experience with the kinds of tasks that they're going to be working on in the team that they graduate into. Your whole pipeline, how you get people, I guess like just internship, job, ad, post things, right? Yeah, we do a lot of uh, um, recruiting through the graduation events of the Code Academies as well. Because we have people on board who are from the Code Academies, we can go back to those events and, and recruit more. Okay, so you go to these, you know these Code Academy people, you recruit at their graduation events. Yep. You assign them to a mentor with the area where they would have the most success. Yes. You have an outlined, clearly defined system for them to travel through this, yep. this program, this mentorship path to becoming a core engineer program. That's a 12 month program. They have these series of events, quarterly reviews, type deals, technical brown bags, code together, review together. They're getting paid. Obviously, it's like a job, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. And then they graduate into a core engineer. Yes. And then that's your, your pipeline for talent. That's absolutely right. And I mean, while they're in this, this program, the type of work they're doing, whether it be client requests or integration work, is extremely valuable to the company because it and to them. So they're getting a lot of like very hands-on experience, integrating accounts, understanding how the data pipes work, seeing the full range of technologies, you know, from data input to data output, uh, and getting to contribute across the stack. So it's really a great warm-up to actually then graduate on to the senior engineering team and have a ton of context about the product and how it's used so that they're amazing contributors from day one once they graduate. That's interesting because then if you're bringing in senior people from the outside, they have to start at day zero. You got right? it. So it's like yeah. we have booting up a senior engineer is actually you know more challenging for us. That like for that, what we do is tend to put them through rotations in different parts of the stack to give them exposure um, so that they can kind of come up to speed on the tech. Um, but in terms of how they're actually exposed to clients, uh, it's great that our sales team and our CS team are so collaborative because they invite them to actually sit in and shadow client calls to gain sort of domain uh, intuition. Uh, so core engineers are invited to, you know, attend sales calls and listen in and just hear how we're talking about the product. And they're invited to go to client meetings as well and just meet the people, understand what they're doing. I mean, it's one of the things that I took away from being an integration engineer uh, in the first tranche of customers was that uh, I felt like these people were like my colleagues and I was working side by side with them to actually accomplish their marketing use cases. And it taught me a lot about what they're trying to do and how they want to do it, which informs like everything that I do in terms of engineering today. Yeah. Well, it's important because you don't want it to become like too isolated. Like this is engineering over here. We're doing this engineering, we're doing the hard work and like you want to keep it, open and keep people connected because the, that isolation hurts the business. In, in so many ways, right? It like limits access to engineering from sales and CS side, but from engineering side, they lose context. 
they just don't know what's going on whenever they're myopically focused on engineering tasks, right? Uh, so I totally agree with you. I think it's one of the, as, as the team gets even larger, it's one of the problems that's going to be most challenging for us to solve, like from team dynamics. I like it, man. We we're wrapping up here. Like this was a fantastic podcast. I love cool. that. You, I think the coolest thing, well, I know your product's really cool, but that, <laughs> that I've never had someone explain their pipeline for talent that clearly, and that will help a lot of other CTOs out there. They're going to be replaying that section of the episode over and over. <laughs> I think that's probably a symptom of having an engineer build a hiring pipeline, right? Is like we're we're fairly analytical about the way that we compose the team and and the hiring pipe too, right? And it's for for it's like logical. Like I had we did an investment round, and so I had the VCs uh, that came and like re- came into the actual yep. physical location, like reviewed it and said, "Oh, let me see your sales pipeline. Let me see how you produce this. Let me see how you produce that." And like, I've got documents on like how we do everything. I'm like, how else do you know how to do it? And they're like, this is unbelievable. I'm like, what type of other companies like do you see? <laughs> like, I mean, you're doing it right. Like one of the things I didn't call out is how heavy we use Google Docs. Yeah. <laughs> we just, like writing things down is incredibly important. And we've iterated on them over the years, but it is extremely useful to just have all of that thinking written down, especially for new hires just to like be able to say like, Hey, here's how we do it. Read this document and you'll understand, right? At least get a first pass on like the way that we try to do things at Simon. Have you ever tried to convince someone how they forget? Because I've had people that are like, Oh, I don't want to write it down. I was like, I was like, no, you're going to forget. Like we're, we forget at the rate of one bit per neuron per second. We're like essentially goldfish. Like we're going to solve this problem and then we're going to forget the solution to it within minutes or hours. And then we're going to be like, what, what was the exact wording on that? How do we exact, what were the exact steps for that? And then we're going to have to resolve the problem again. And that's going to yeah. cost us more time. And we're trying to accomplish a goal as an organization. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, it's interesting. I never thought about it from the standpoint of forgetting, uh, but it does tie into our postmortem culture of like the chief reason that we perform those postmortems, aside from to make sort of the the tactical uh, remediations to process is to never forget we've got the archive of postmortems it's like these are lessons learned don't ever do this again right <laughs> and so <laughs> we remediate it you know from a process standpoint from a tech standpoint but then also we have a historical archive of just everything that we've learned over the last few years right this is interesting because I, I do this, but I haven't talked to other people about it. And then you bring it up. So yeah, we I, I believe that our knowledge uh, as an organization of what we learned, for example, like when, when we're going out to talk to different parts of the market, like CTOs between uh, 5,000 and 10,000 people don't have any interest in us because their role is completely different than a CTO with 500 to 1,000 engineers. Right. And while they're the same role and people would say, oh, that's their that, they're not actually that on a day to day. And yep. so what we've, we've gone around and talked to all of these groups and like, there's so many different types of them. And we've, we know exactly like, so that's just for our messaging information, but the same thing with like how we deal with our actual customers, uh, right. interfacing with our customers different ways based on what, what type of customer they are. But yeah, that's interesting that, that you talked about that. I like the, um, I like the postmortem thing. Like you have a list of all the, the, the scrubs and like what the things we never need to do again. Exactly. And I mean, we, it's, uh, you know, really ingrained into our culture that if an, an incident occurs, we postmortem it. 
and we have a very like formulaic process for going through the postmortem from timeline to the five whys to sort of the remediations. Um, and, and that really helps sort of take blame out of it, take ego out of it, and just like get down to the actual root cause. Like what went wrong? Why? How can we fix it? Make sure it doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. And I like that culture and it's important to establish it early because I noticed I, I was establishing it like in with non-technical people and just as part of our thing, like with scheduling guests or like whatever it may be, things that we don't do. And at first it was like the first couple of times you do it, something they're almost like, oh, you made me feel bad or like this. Sure. But then they realize this is just the culture. A mistake occurs. We identify the root cause. We put a, a process in place so this doesn't occur again and we move forward and we don't care. Like it's not about you doing it. It's like, our we're going to run it's like driving on the interstate with like bugs like they're going to hit the windshield like things are going to happen we just need to make sure to acknowledge it understand it put a process in place and then move forward that, right that's right and it can be very awkward but the process helps sort of getting over the awkwardness of it and and on that note like both our sales team and our cs team have adopted the postmortem format that we use um, and and have you know conducted really interesting postmortems that give us business insight. Matt, I had a really fantastic time talking with you today. You guys, yes. don't, so you guys don't have an office, correct? We do have an office in New York. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so the business office. side of the house is is yeah. actually physically located in New York City. Okay. Yeah. But all of us engineers are distributed, so we have our home offices. So if I'm passing through, you said Austin, right? Uh huh. So if I'm passing through Austin at a conference, I got a big speaking schedule for 2019. Yeah. So uh, I will put you on my list and get you to come out and say hello and it'll be fun. Absolutely. That'd be awesome. I'd be very interested in it. Awesome. Well, you have an excellent afternoon. Enjoy the holidays. And Likewise. Then if you ever need anything from me at all, any relationships, any questions you want me to put out to the network, you just message me and I'm available to you whenever. Sure. Thank you very much, Joel. It was really nice to meet you. You too. Talk soon, Matt. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you CC me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.